Alrighty, last week we started the study on the actual ark and the actual flood of Genesis here with Noah. Two weeks ago we did an introduction onto who Noah was. We're going to continue on with this. Now this is kind of an interesting study because as we get into this it leads to a lot of questions and really the whole story of Noah's flood covers Genesis 6, 7, 8 and I would even go into Genesis 9. So we're kind of jumping all around with this. We've left off, I would guess, last week we kind of got all over the place. We left off right around probably verses 18, 19, and 20 last week so that's where we're going to pick it up here a little bit. And just a little bit of a background on what's going on. I know many of us are familiar with the uh, flood here in Noah's Ark. Very simply put, as the Lord has come and it's come time to judge the world, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three daughters are going to be saved through this. So eight people, and this is what God is going to do. It's a wonderful story, and it sounds like it's a story on judgment. And it is a story on judgment. Can't get around that. But it's also a story on grace. It's a beautiful picture of salvation, of God saving us through the storms of life, and God saving us and himself, his ark, and what he's protected us through. And I'm willing to bet every single one of you came in here tonight, and you either came in here tonight with a struggle, and you need the Lord to step in and save you, or you're going to run into somebody this week who has a struggle, and you're going to be able to hopefully encourage them with what we hear here tonight. So, with that being said, we left off last week in verses 15, 16, and really even 17, that describes the physical description of the ark. If you weren't with us, I encourage you, go grab a CD, get online, listen to that, because we actually talked about how big the ark physically was. We also had some uh, PowerPoint slides up there where we could see some pictures to scale of what it was. So, verse 17, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, and which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sword into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Now, there's a couple points in here, and we hit it on this last week a little bit. We're just going to reiterate this. You can see in verse 20, the question came up of how did Noah do this. When we made the joke last week, I can remember as a kid in Sunday school envisioning Noah, old man, walking around the earth and catching animals with nets and dragging them into the ark. That's not what happened. If you look in verse 20, it says right there, they will come to you. God divinely brought these animals to the ark, to Noah, to be loaded up in it. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I've taught on this before, and I've had people come up to me and say, I really struggle with this point. They really struggle with this idea of God divinely bringing the animals to Noah. So I said this, and I, not, I don't try to be snarky, I promise. I say, you have no problems with a flood covering the whole world and eight people being saved. No, I believe that. But you don't believe God can bring animals to the ark. It's always interesting what we can believe and what we can't believe. It's easy to think that a flood covered the whole world and only eight people were saved, and a 500-year-old man built this huge boat over 120 years. I find that harder to believe than all the animals coming to Noah for some reason. God divinely brought these animals to Noah. Noah's job, verse 21, prepare the food for it. As we mentioned last week with our notes here, we're dealing with a, about 100,000 square foot of boat. So Noah has plenty of space for the animals. He has plenty of space for all the food. He's got it all figured out. The practicality of the ark is understandable. God is now divinely working out these details of bringing the animals. The key verse is verse 22. Thus Noah did, 
according all that the God commanded him, so he did. Now that's important. Keep your hand there in Genesis 6. Flip with me, if you will, to Hebrews 11. Because there's a backup verse that goes with this that's important to understand. Hebrews 11. We have a tendency to read a verse like that in verse 22 and say, okay, that's a pretty simple, straightforward point. That's not a straightforward point. To hear that Noah did to all that God commanded him to do. That's a big deal. Hebrews 11, please. Here in Hebrews 11, we have a little bit more background to what was going on with Noah. And I want to share this verse with you. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now put these passages together. We have in Genesis 6, verse 22, that Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. Now look at verse 7 here in Hebrews 11. Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Things not yet seen. We joked about this a couple weeks ago. We can piece together in the Bible that there had probably not been rain like we experienced rain. The Bible said that a mist watered the earth. We talked about how there probably had not been floods to this point. So God coming to Noah, and just let's establish the facts one more time. Noah, here you are about 500 years old. You're going to go build this boat for 120 years. You're going to bring two of every animal on it. You, your sons, your wives, their wives are all going to come on this, and you're going to be taken care of divinely through this flood. Those are the facts. Noah was obedient to do that. Do you realize how much faith that takes to be that obedient? How much faith? Now think about this, because we struggle with the small things in life. We struggle with work tomorrow, and there's a big thing at work. We struggle with the medical test coming up, and what are the results going to show? Now, in, in the eyes of ourselves, what's more amazing? A flood covering the whole world, eight people being saved, all the animals, and they live in this ark for a year, or God helping you through tomorrow? See, by Noah being obedient, by seeing, doing things, I should say, that he had not yet seen, verse 7, that's amazing. This is why this man's a picture of faith. I guess I want to encourage you with this. If the Lord has laid something on your heart to do, and it's really hard for you to see the big picture of it, don't try to see the big picture. Just be obedient. I think too many times as Christians, we say, Lord, show me the final result, and then I will be obedient to do it. That is not the way God works. It's not. He says, walk in faith, and as you walk in faith, I will then reveal to you I will then reveal to you what the final result will be. That result is not seen sometimes until we take that step of faith. Noah and faith did all this, not yet seeing any of it. That's an amazing picture. If you have a very strong personality where you have to have all the details before you take a step forward, you're going to be miserable in this world. Because God will always bring into your life situations that are beyond your control to teach you to have faith and just trust Him. Noah is an example of a man that said, I'm not going to ask questions, I'm just going to obey, and as I obey, the Lord will reveal the plan, and the Lord revealed the plan, and Noah and his family was saved. He walked in faith, and I encourage you, if there's something you're struggling with, do exactly what it says in Genesis 6, Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Noah was obedient, and God honored that obedience. That's what the Lord does. 
So that brings us now to the actual flood getting started. Any quick questions on Noah's obedience? Any quick questions on the animals coming into the ark, the preparations there? Anything on that as we finish up chapter 6? Yeah, Rose. Hmm. You know, we just, there's some things we're not able, like you said, if we have a situation that we're praying about, there's things we cannot do anything about. That's right. When we do what we're able, give it over to God. And that's a great point there. God asks us to do what we're able, and whatever God calls us to do, He's going to give us the strength to do that. He's never going to ask you to do something that is not cap- you're capable of doing. And I can't remember how that saying goes, but there's a great saying where God does. Well, how does it say? God does not call the. Um, God does not call the. Uh, I will come to me. Good thing we're not recording this, right? Anyway, so moving on, because there was a thought. It was a good thought, too. It was just right there, but now it's gone. It's completely gone there. The point is this. Sometimes there's things we can do and there's things we can't. And this is something I say in counseling all the time. There are things in your life you can change, and there's things in your life you can't change. If you focus on those things you can't change, you're going to drive yourself crazy. You really are. I see too many people come to me and they focus on something they can't change. And it's like, why are you dwelling on this? You're going to drive yourself batty focusing on something that is beyond your capabilities to have anything to change with. Focus on those things you can change. Becoming a better godly man, woman, husband, wife, father. Being in prayer for people. Being in the Word. Focus on those things that spiritually you can grow in. There's things beyond us. We have to give those things over to the Lord. This example here in Genesis 6, as Rose was mentioning, Noah can't go catch all the animals of the world and bring them to the ark. He can't. Noah, he can load up food for all the animals. And that's what God called him to do. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? All right, let's get into the actual flood. Verse 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are a righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, and a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days... I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. Now, I think this is a really interesting point. We are ingrained into our brains that Noah took all the animals two by two on the ark. That's not true. What he did was he took seven of the clean animals and two of the unclean animals. I think this is very important. Why would he take seven of the clean animals? Well, we see what's going to happen here is when they get off the ark, Noah's going to offer up sacrifices to the Lord. You can jump ahead, chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. Now, I think this is a point that we mentioned before with Cain and Abel, and I believe we need to mention again. Some people believe that the law was already understood by these people. How else would they know what clean and unclean animals were? How else would Cain and Abel know what sacrifices God wanted? So they already had a working knowledge and understanding of what the Lord had asked of them. So often when we look at the law, well, the law came through Moses, book of Exodus. Well, you see here in the book of Genesis, people trying to do this and follow this. So if you ever want to win a bet, ask people how animals got on the ark. They'll say two by two, and you're going to win. Because it's not two by two. Two by two for the unclean, but they took seven of the clean animals. And how did Noah know which ones are clean? I believe that there was an understanding of the law at that time already of what God asked and what God required. You also see that with Cain and Abel. So, they get themselves loaded up. Now, did you catch this again? Time to get on the ark. We got that. Verse 1. Look at verse 4. Seven more days I will cause it to rain. 
Most people believe that Noah spent seven days on the ark, full of animals and food. And guess what happened for those seven days? Absolutely nothing. We have a little rule. We have five boys at home. We do not load them up until the very last minute before we go someplace. Because if you load those kids up for longer than 30 seconds more than what they need to be in that seat, it is absolutely awful. No one likes sitting in a seat in a car just waiting. I can remember the few times in life that I have flown. I hate that, getting on the plane, buckling up, and you sit there on the runway and you just wait. That's awful. Seven days they hung out in the ark. Seven days they hung out in the ark. Now, i got to ask you this, and there's no way to back this up scripturally. What do you think the rest of the people did for those seven days? Yeah, laughed. I'm willing to bet that for seven days people came up to Noah. What are you doing? Now, maybe for the first few hours it was kind of fun. I don't care how much you love Jesus. Seven days in an ark with people and boats and animals, that's going to get to you after a little bit. So, so often we think of this, and I've seen it in Hollywood, and I have it in my own mind. It starts to sprinkle. Noah's running on the ark. He's telling his wife to grab her purse, you know, that type of stuff. Come on, we got to get on there. They got on the ark, and seven days they just waited. Look at verse 5 one more time. Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. This is a man of faith. He, asked, he was asked to build a boat for a flood that he didn't understand. He did it. Get on the ark and wait seven days. Now, what did Noah tell his sons? Because there's nothing in here that says, Hey, guess what? Verse 4, For after seven more days I will cause it to rain. I'm telling you right now, if I told my boys we're getting on the ark, and in seven days it's going to rain, I know what my oldest son will say. I will see you in six days then. I'm going to get off the boat, and I'm going to go do what I want for six days, and I'll come back. I tell you this, I've walked with the Lord for 20 years. Sometimes God asks you to do something that doesn't make any sense. And just be obedient. Just be obedient. The the nation of Egypt is coming to attack and destroy Israel. God could have supernaturally took out the army. He could have supernaturally empowered the Israelites to fight back. God's great plan is part the Red Sea and then drown them. That's God's great plan. So God's divine plan here is for seven days, get on the boat and just wait. Now, I'm saying this hypothetically. What seven-day period of waiting are you in right now where you're kind of wondering what the Lord is doing? I mean, seriously, have you not ever been in a spot where God has asked you to be obedient and you're obedient and the days pass and the days pass and you see nothing? There's been times in my life, in my marriage, where I felt like the Lord was asking me to do something, so I've done it. And then I immediately expect him to answer and to bless me and things to change. I remember distinctly there was something in our marriage between Dawn and I one time we were not seeing eye to eye on. And it was the classic example of I want her to change, she wants me to change. So I felt like the Lord laid on my heart, James, don't worry about Dawn. You just do what you're called to do and make those changes. So I was willing, I was obedient, and I made the changes for the Lord. Now I'm going to be honest with you. About one day after making those changes, I expected Dawn. To be the changed person too. I'm still waiting for her to change, you know? I'm called to be obedient in what I'm called to be obedient. In your marriage, you may be waiting for your spouse to change. How about you change? 
You just get on the ark and do what you're called to do. You may be waiting for that coworker, that friend, that family. I don't know what you're waiting for. You just get on the ark and be obedient and let the Lord take care of the rest of the details. I cannot stress to you enough, verse 5, Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. He was obedient. So if you're keeping track and you like to take notes, so far we're seven days in. Seven days in and guess what? No rain. Let's see what happens. Verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah with his sons, his wife and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two they went into the ark to Noah. Once again it shows that the Lord divinely did this, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. Seven days later it happens. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deeps were broken up and the windows of heaven were open and it rained on the, rain was on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, now we're seven days in and now we have 40 days of rain. So now we're 47 days in. Now, what most people believe, if you look at this right here in verses 10 and uh, verse 12 there, this idea of the rain coming in verse 11, the fountains of the deep opening up, some people believe this, that this mist that watered the earth that we studied back in the beginning, that held all this moisture, that God kind of released it. So there comes the rain. What a lot of people believe is that there was this water. And I hate to use the word trapped. I don't mean it that way, but I can't think of a better word. There was this water below the surface of the earth that the Lord then let loose during this time. So you have torrential rain coming down from the sky. And you have, for lack of a better word, torrential rain coming up from the ground. Now stop and think about this. The amount of water that's going to be needed to flood the entire earth over the mountaintops, that's a lot of water. That's a lot of water. So you have this mist that's been over the earth that now God kind of lets it go and says, go. Forty days of rain. You have this water that's been under the surface of the earth that is now let loose. And these great fissures of water come out. So it's doubled up. Water coming down, water coming up. This is going on now for 40 days. Verse 13, on that very same day, Noah and Noah's son Shem, Ham and Jepheth, and Noah's wives with the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. Eight people again. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah two by two of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. So they, those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. I love that verse. God shut the door. You know you're going to be safe when God shuts the door behind you. You just know it. So when you're on the ark of life, you're walking in the safety of the Lord, and God shuts you in. You're going to be okay. Guess what? While you're on the ark, it's still going to rain on your boat. There's still going to be waves. But when you have been divinely shut in by the Lord, the Lord's hand is on you, keeping you safe, protecting you. This is a beautiful picture here of God's hand on your life. It's a picture of faith of doing things that don't make sense. It's a picture of faith during the storms of life. It's a picture of trusting the Lord that He is going to provide for you. It's a picture of trusting the Lord that He's going to shut the door and keep you safe. Verse 17, Now the flood was on the earth forty days. The waters increased high and lifted up the ark and arose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed fifteen cubits upward and the mountains were covered. We believe in a worldwide flood. I think that's important. 
I've heard people teach on this, and they say it was a localized flood. That makes no sense to me. If God gave Noah a 100-year forewarning, why wouldn't you just move out of the way then for in that 120 years? This is a worldwide flood. It covered the mountains. It covered everything. In verse 20, prevailed 15 cubits upward. Remember, a cubit is probably 18, 19, 20 inches. We don't know for, any, for sure. But it covered everything. What's the result? Verse 21, all flesh died and moved on the earth. This is that judgment that came. So he's been on the ark for seven days. For 40 days and night it rained. You have the fissures of the earth opening up. You have the earth completely covered and destroyed. Now we'll stop here real quick because I'm sure there's some questions, comments. Any quick questions, comments about this thus far? Rose. Yeah, it's a, the survival instinct kicks in. And the Lord divinely took care of Noah and protected him. And it is. It's a beautiful picture. And like I said, I keep repeating this point, but I don't know what flood you're facing right now in life. God's going to shut you in and you're going to be okay. That's the beautiful part of it. So another hand up. Kathy. You know, I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure, because if you look here, in starting in about verse 5 through verse 16, it's not really in chronological order. Verses 5 through verse 16 is more of a summary stop, uh, statement. So I couldn't say for sure when the Lord actually shut the door. My personal opinion is, and it probably changes every time I teach it, I think when no one, everybody was in, God probably shut the door at that time. That's just kind of my opinion. But if you really read verses 5 through 16, it's not in chronological order, so we can't say for sure. We just know verse 16 that when everybody was in that was supposed to be in, God shut the door. So my assumption would be in those first seven days when everything got in that was supposed to be in, God probably shut the door. That's just my opinion. Shirley, you had your hand up. But they're not going to die, because if you look here, and we didn't get that far, but if you look in verse 21, all the flesh died that moved on the earth. So the stuff that moves on the earth. Birds and cattle, and remember that word for cattle is not literally cattle, it's any type of moving animal. And beast and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on dry land died. So the fish weren't affected by it. So there's two ways to be saved, either through Jesus or be a fish. I guess that's what it comes down to. Kathy. Yeah, and that's what some people believe about that clean animal is because once you get, that's a really good point, once you get to chapter 9 and verse 2 where it says now you're able to eat the animals in verses 2 and 3 and 4 of chapter 9, some people believe that part of the reason why they took some clean animals is because they were going to sacrifice them, but also this would also give a food supply for a while as soon as the flood was done. Because as soon as the flood was done, yes, the earth is repopulating itself, but you were going to need food. And so God could have also divinely planned ahead and said, I'm also giving you clean animals for sacrifice, but also for eating as well, too. Ryan.
Mm-hmm. And, and that's something I think is really neat because, and I know you and I have talked about this before, the fossil records, when you study this, that are found literally all over the world in places where you should not find fossil records sure seem to hint that something happened that covered the whole earth. And you brought up a point there, too, that I've heard before. Some people believe where it says, um, let me find that verse one more time. Oh, Verse 11, where it says, that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up. Some people believe that when these fissures opened up, that the water loose, that possibly this could have been a cataclysmic geological event, you know, of mountains popping up and things along that type of line. So that's an interesting point there, is that you can't ignore the fact that fossil evidence has been literally found all over the planet. And also some of these mountains here and some of these things that we stop and we look at and say, well, they are millions or billions of years old. The Bible possibly, possibly could be hinting in verse 11 that something geologically happened that was quite cataclysmic. And maybe that's part of some of the result of that, too. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point, and I wish I would have thought of that before the study, because I've seen some amazing maps of the mountain ranges in the ocean. And when you look at some of these fissures, it really does look like that. I encourage you, go home, look that up online, and look at the mountain ranges in the ocean. And it's a fascinating thing. And it kind of lines up with everything. Miles. You know, you normally don't use sar- you normally don't use sarcasm as a weapon, so I had to take a brief moment there to make sure. So that was good. That was good. Yeah, surely. Yeah. Yeah, it is, and that's a neat point there that Noah. I mean, the Bible says, according to Peter, and we mentioned this last week, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So we firmly believe while Noah was building this ark, he was preaching about what was going to be happening. We know from figuring out the dates of his kids, his boys weren't born until after God gave him the command to build the ark. So here Noah is building an ark, preaching you know, salvation, if you will, raising boys. You see this man as a family man. And you see his faith not only affected his wife, it affected his boys, it affected his daughter-in-laws. And it's an amazing picture of how your walk and your witness and your preaching of righteousness to your family is fruitful. It really can be fruitful. And and it's just like faith. You may be stopping right now and saying, I'm not seeing fruit. Well, you may be in that seven days of sitting on the ark right now. Just be faithful. And Noah is a wonderful picture. And as we mentioned in our first study on Noah two weeks ago, Noah was one of the big three. And we showed those verses there where God constantly picks Noah out in the Bible to say, Noah. Noah is quite the godly man. Quite the godly man. Anybody else have anything? Rose. You can see a big contrast between Noah and his life and Lot. You know, Noah's faith was Yeah. And that's a great point. What Rose was saying there is Noah's family was obedient. Lot's family, when Lot said, let's leave, they, they, I think the Bible says they mocked him. And what an example. What an example of Noah lived the life 
and there was that respect that the, that they saw. So that's a good point. Saw another hand up. I thought, yeah, Tina. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, in what you say there is true. It may be a bit of encouragement to get get on board. If I remember correctly off the top of my head, we know when the flood hit, Shem was 98 years old. And I, 98, I know that sounds like that's old, but when people are living 900 years at this time, you know, they're still considered a young man at that point. But I really think it's interesting that these kids, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, we're calling them kids at 98, but these kids, that's all they knew. I mean, the, the, I think the assumption would be by the time these guys were born, the ark's already been started. You know, I, I tell you this, and you're going to think this is crazy, and that's okay. Maybe you've had the same thoughts, and you just won't be honest about it. I can remember before I had children, I'm not going to lie, one of my thoughts is they're going to realize how weird I am. Because they're going to see me 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And now when I realize with my kids, those things that I thought that they were going to think is weird, they think is normal. So they think you guys are weird because my weirdness is normalness to them. So when they grow up and get married and their wives say, why do you do that? Because they saw their dad do it. So for Shem, Ham, and Jebeth, their whole life has been flood, ark, Noah, preaching. That was their whole life. And I think it's a wonderful picture of just as parents is just living the Christian life in front of your kids and just saying, let their whole life be ingrained with Christ. One of my favorite verses on raising children is in Deuteronomy, where it says, talk about the Lord when you walk along the path, when you sit down to eat, when you whatever you do, just talk about God. It goes back to our message we said on Sunday, that term witnessing. Just talk about what Jesus has done for you, and let it impact your family and your friends. Not even kids, just family and friends. It's an amazing thing. I saw another hand up. Ryan, do you have a hand up? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point. It's faith and obedience. Because Noah could have stopped and said, Lord, I have faith that this flood's coming, but never been obedient to build the ark. Uh, you know, and that's an absolutely wonderful point. Faith is put into action and practiced by obedience. So when we say we trust the Lord, there's an obedience to follow that. That's a good point. Bob. Yeah, the, the, the Nephilim is a really interesting thing, and I'll, I'll do a quick sum up here. I encourage you to get the copy of it because we went into a little more detail. What they were, they were literally giants, it says. And what some people believe, and there's really two trains of thought on this. If you go back to Genesis chapter 6, train of thought 1 is the line of Seth and the line of Cain intermingled. The godly line of Seth and Cain, and that they were the result of that. As we made the joke about that, we really don't see that. We've seen believers and non-believers have kids, and they're not giants. What we also think is that phrase, sons of God, in verse 2, where it says, the sons of God saw the daughters of men. That phrase, sons of God, it's not exclusive, but through a good chunk of the Old Testament, that phrase, sons of God, refers to angels. And so what some people believe is that fallen angels, and we can put this all together, because in First Peter and also the book of Jude, it talks about this. Fallen angels left their proper domain. They did things they weren't supposed to do. 
That's where they were judged. Some people believe that these fallen angels came down, took the form of man, had relations with women, and this was the offspring of it. There was the offspring of this um, mixed line of, of heavenly and earthly, if you will. And that's part of the reason why God said, I need to judge this. And that's also part of the reason why possibly in Genesis 6, 9, it says that Noah was perfect in his generations, that his line was not touched by this. But that's a sum up of 30 seconds of something we spent a little time on. So I encourage you to get the one a couple weeks ago. But that's a good question. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right. Well, I'm not going to leave you on a cliffhanger. They survived the flood, just so everybody knows. Um, But what happens here in chapter 8, and we'll get to that next week, that gets into details now. And I I just want to share this with you. They, They are on the ark for 377 days. So they're on the ark for a year. Just keep that in the back of your mind. They're on the ark for a year. So we're 47 days into this. So only 47 days. We still got a year left of them on the ark and things to go through. And that's what we're going to get to in chapter 8. So let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. And then we will let you guys go. Heavenly Father, good to be here. Great time to talk about you. Lord, help us to walk in faith. Walk in faith and obedience to what you've called us to do. And Lord, to not be fearful of the floodwaters, to stay in the ark of your salvation. Thank you, Lord. We lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.